Good morning, everyone. If you want to take some time to find your seats, you can finish those conversations following the service. If you all want to take some time, find your seats, we'll go ahead and get started. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to FX Church. Um, again, if you're new or we've never met, my name is Luke Bellata. I help to lead our collegiate ministry and young adult ministry. Um, so I'm excited for the opportunity to, to preach this morning. I didn't ask for that yet. They're stealing my thunder. Get it back out of here. You want to go back a slide for me? Spoilers um, for to come later. Um, yeah, so it's honored to be here preaching this morning. Um, I can confidently say that here at FX Church, we are probably the only church that on the two biggest Sundays of the year, Easter and Christmas, that our lead pastor is not preaching. I've had so many weird looks every time someone, I'm like, I'm preaching on Christmas. Why? What's wrong? Is Matt dead? No, he's fine. Um, Matt will be the first person to tell you it's not Matt's church, it's God's church. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be here in a place that allows myself and also Brian to grow as, as speakers and as preachers. And so honored for that opportunity. Thank you all for allowing me that opportunity as well. So this weekend is obviously Christmas. If you didn't know, I hope you about wake up. There's presents tomorrow. Uh, it's Christmas. You know, many families have their own traditions. You know, they, they do different sort of things. I love Christmas time. I love looking at the Christmas lights. You know, some families make gingerbread houses. Um, you know, they might watch the old classic Christmas movies. Everyone kind of has their own traditions uh, that maybe you grew up with or you've adopted now in your current situation. You know, Annie and I are kind of in the stage right now. We're kind of picking and choosing from our families of like, what do we like? What do we not like? Creating our own traditions to go forward. Um, and, and one Christmas tradition I always remember as a kid is that we would always, um, after Christmas Eve service, typically at night, if it wasn't on a Sunday, uh, we would put all on our Christmas pajamas and then we would go for a ride. There was a neighborhood down the road from my house um, that always did like a Christmas light competition. So we would just drive through the neighborhood, look at all the Christmas lights on Christmas Eve, and then we would stay up late, we'd eat a bunch of junk food, we'd just play games, and it was a really good time, especially as a kid, to look forward to getting to eat junk food all night and not having like a real dinner. Um, that was pretty cool. And then we would all, you know, and me and my siblings, we would stay in one room together, we'd all sleep together in one room, and we'd be so excited. And I remember the anticipation as a kid of like, what gift am I gonna get? Like it would keep me up at night that I was just so excited. I was like bouncing off the wall because I was just like, what gifts am I gonna wake up to in the morning? You know, we'd always wake up, check the clock. In our house, at least, my parents, they set a rule that the earliest we could wake them up to open presents was 6 a.m. That was the earliest we could wake up. And so every, every Christmas Eve, we'd like, just like wait until 6 a.m. And as soon as that hits, we'd run into their room and wake them up. And you weren't allowed to set alarms either, so that was cheating. So we had to do it naturally to like wake up at 6 a.m. So I remember we would do that and just like, being so excited to run down the stairs and see what presents I was going to get. And I think we all, many of us probably have that memory as Christmas as a kid of like, when you got that one gift, that one gift that was like, whoa, I had no idea you were gonna do this, it really blew your mind. And so you can hit the picture now, thank you. And so for me, it was Christmas 2001. Um, you can see, you know, I got my little rocket power. Uh, if you're of a certain generation, pajamas, um, and I, had always wanted a PlayStation. My best friend had a PlayStation at his house and going over there was like the coolest thing as a kid. It was the biggest treat to get to go over and play PlayStation. And I remember 
there's actually video of this Christmas morning. I ran down the stairs and by my stocking was the, the Power Rangers Time Force video game in my hand, which I was also obsessed with Power Rangers. And I didn't even see the PlayStation on the Christmas bench. I just saw the game and I was like, oh, when can we go over to Jeff's house so I can play my game? And my parents were suddenly trying to be like, look right here, we don't have to go over to Jeff's house. You have a PlayStation. And that was like the coolest thing I've ever gotten, um, especially at age four. Um, was super excited to get to do that. I just went crazy. It was one of those classic videos you see of kids just like losing their mind. Um, and so that was, that was really cool um, for me to get to have that gift and get to be able to, to share with my friends, hey, I have a PlayStation 2. Um, and so I just wanted to share that memory briefly as well. But you know, as, as we know, or as, as you're getting older, you may soon figure out that Christmas is more than just getting a PlayStation. It's more than just getting gifts. Um, and we celebrate Christmas to remember the birth of Christ, the birth of the Messiah, the one who was promised throughout the Old Testament as early as Genesis, the one that would, would uh, crush the serpent's head and looking for that, that Messiah to come. Um, and that Messiah being Jesus that was born. And so we're in the middle of a three-week series titled, What Child Is This? Um, and again, that's after the old Christmas carol, What Child Is This? And it's the really mo the most important question that any of us can ask in our lives regarding Jesus is, is who is Jesus? Um, and how, how we identify with him is what sets the tone for the rest of our lives. You know, is he someone that was just a, a liar? Was he just a crazy person? Um, or was he who he says he was? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah, the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins? Um, so how we view that shapes our entire life and how we live. And so... Um, the, the title of the sermon this week is The Light of the World. And so this morning we're going to kind of expand upon the question of what child is this and looking through the Christmas story um, and, and seeing Jesus as the light of the world, his birth being the light of the world coming to us. Um, so we're going to jump in to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be focused in Luke 1 and mainly in Luke 2 this morning. Um, now I probably because my name is Luke, have always had a special likening to the Gospel of Luke. You know, I think it's the best one, but I'm biased. Um, but one thing I do appreciate about Luke's Gospel is that he's a very details person. We see this in the first four verses uh, of Luke. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequ sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So Luke is already setting the tone right here that the reason he's writing this, he's writing a detailed account of Jesus's life so that we can know with certainty that these things have happened, that this is true, we can trust it. He doesn't want to um, give anything that's gonna make us be confused. He wants to give as many details as he can because this really happened. We'll see lots of details throughout the Christmas story um, that can help us go back to, to history to see that this is true. Um, and so for us, it's important to remember that the story we're reading the entire Bible is true. Um, it's crucial for us to be able to trust the word of God, that it is the revealed word of the one living true God who through the book reveals Jesus Christ as the Messiah who came, who lived, who died and rose again for us to make a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. So it's crucial that we understand that and we can know that 
um, the Bible gives account for itself to its truthfulness. We see this in 2 Timothy, um, Paul writing, 2 Timothy 3, you're probably familiar with this verse, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible in itself gives itself authority that all scripture we can trust is the inspired word of God. So for us, before we dive in, I know many of us, Brian and I were kind of joking in the back, you know, everyone knows the Christmas story. You know, we, we read it earlier too. You know, most people, you're familiar with it a little bit. And especially if you are familiar with it or you've grown up in church, you've heard it every year. It's easier for us to grow stale to it, to grow numb, to not recognize the incredible miracle that it is, um, just the incredible story. So as we look through it, try not to allow your familiarity with the story to allow it to keep you from being amazed at what God has done for us. Um, don't let you lose sight of the awesomeness and the amazement that Jesus coming to live, to die, and to rise again for us um, brings. So just try to keep that level of excitement. Try to look at it with new eyes and fresh eyes. And when you see the excitement that the, the shepherds and Simeon and Anna respond to, remember that that's how we should respond in the same way as well. So we're going to be picking up uh, in verse 26 of chapter 1. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So I want us to pause there for a second. So again, remember Luke, he's writing a very detailed account. So there are things in here that we can quickly you know, glean by, unless we're familiar with the Old Testament and really taking time to understand why these are in here. So um, one important thing is that Jesus' parents, they were from Nazareth. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Um, and this was something that, you know, helped to um, fulfill a prophecy of the Old Testament in Isaiah, um, because Nazareth was not a very nice town. It wasn't known for being where the nice, the kings came from Nazareth. Um, it was a pretty undesirable place for them to be, so much so that we see in John's gospel, Nathaniel, you know, when he hears about Jesus, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like nothing good can come there. It's not a nice place. Um, and in Isaiah chapter 53, we see um, kind of part of this prophecy when it's talking about the coming servant, the coming Messiah. It says that he grew up like, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. So again, by him coming from Nazareth, this helped to fulfill this because you wouldn't look at him and think anything special of him. He's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. You know, there wasn't something about him that was um, so great in appearance that it made it be like, whoa, this is the Messiah. Um, he was just a simple guy. Um, there was nothing crazy like that. So that helped to fulfill that. So when we read through that passage in Luke, we can very quickly go through that and miss these little things that when we're familiar with the Old Testament, it kind of lights up little, little lights in our head and go, wait, I've heard this. This goes back here. This goes back here. So another one in Isaiah 7, verse 14, this was written hundreds of years before Christ is born. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. So this was foretold years, years before 
Um, and then again, as we're seeing this fulfilled, this is the climax of the entire Bible narrative and story. We're waiting throughout the Old Testament. When's he going to come? When's he going to come? When's he come to come? We know so much about what he's going to be like. And then here he is, and he's starting to check the boxes of this Jesus really is the Messiah, the one we were looking for. So we'll continue on back in Luke 1, verse 30. The angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So again, we can kind of grow familiar with this and not think about the context that this is being spoken, but this would be crazy to experience. An angel is speaking to Mary, and he's saying some really crazy stuff. You know, he's saying that, one, I'm gonna, Mary's going to have a child, and then two, this child, his kingdom is going to reign forever. It's never going to end. Okay, well, naturally my son's going to die at some point, but this kingdom will reign forever. How is this going to work? Um, and Mary asked a very good question in verse 34. She's asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? You know, very reasonable question. How am I pregnant? How is this going to happen? And the angel replied to her saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who has been called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary's reply here is crucial. She says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So Mary gets this this crazy message, and her response isn't doubt, it isn't necessarily fear, it is, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. So she trusts that what she's hearing is true. She is going to be obedient to that. Um, and so this is just a huge part of, of the story to look at. And then we're going to jump uh, into Luke 2 now and kind of going through the, the story. So Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Pause for a second already. Details here. So the importance of the, these details, it helps us have a historical record. These are historical figures that existed that we can look at outside of biblical text to see that they existed. This then gives us confidence 2,000 years later that we can know, hey, this Jesus was born. This really happened. This isn't a made-up time. This isn't, you know, like the fairy tales or some of the movies we watch. It's not in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago or wherever. These are real historical figures. This really happened. So we can have confidence in that. Picking back up in verse 3. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place. Now this, we see this picture of Christ being born and, you know, it, it starts kind of normal. You know, she gave birth. She wrapped him in cloth. That's pretty normal what you do. And then she laid him in a feeding trough. 
I think we can sometimes lose sight of like, we see the nice nativity scene, it's nice, pretty, and picturesque, but like this is a feeding trough. Like if you've been to a farm, that's a pretty, pretty gross place. That's not a normal place you would put a baby. Um, and through this, this kind of again shows this idea that we see reoccurring that when Jesus came to earth, it was not in the way anyone expected. You know, the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Pharisees, they were looking for this Messiah that would come, that would rule, that would take over Israel um, and take over the government and would lead them in that sense. Um, and so they certainly would not have thought that he would come lowly from a couple from Nazareth and be laid in uh, a trough. So Jesus was not the king that they were expecting, and he did not come in that sense. And God continues to work in that way. We see this over and over through the gospel accounts, that Jesus was not like they were expecting and not what they had envisioned was coming, and that's how they missed him. You know, they had all the Old Testament scriptures that pro- prophesied his coming, and they missed it out of their selfishness and pride, thinking that it was going to be something, something greater. So continue on. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that, we will, be, that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, high, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So again, here we see untraditional way of how we would expect the king to come. Who are the first people to hear that the Messiah is born? It is the lowly shepherds. And not even like the best shepherds. It's the shepherds on the night watch. Like, you know, the best shepherds, they're probably sleeping. And it's like, all right, the worst shepherds, you guys are on the night watch. And they're the ones who hear. Um, again, this would not have been the nicest crowd, the richest of the rich, the governors. It's the shepherds who hear. And their response is to go. We need to go see what we've just been told. So they go straight to Bethlehem to see what has happened. Picking up in verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as it has been told. So when I think of this, I kind of think of this from Joseph's perspective. I think is one unique way to kind of think about it in the sense that, like, you know, in Matthew's gospel, we see that an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, hey, your, your fiance, Mary, she's pregnant, but it is by God's hand. Um, and he is obedient. He trusts in that. Um, but, you know, there's always probably, if I was in his shoes, I'd still have those little doubts. Like, it was a dream. Could it, could it just have been a really crazy dream one night? And you start to see these little things that might be like, okay, wait, maybe this is for real, for real. Um, you know, when shepherds just randomly approach and said, the angels just spoke to us and told us to come find your child, and this is the son of God, I'd be like, okay, I think, I think that was true. I think that was right. Um, and you kind of just see the confidence start to build, and like, okay, maybe Mary, it was truthful, and she wasn't lying, and you just kind of to see those things. So we don't, this is me putting my own on that, not necessarily exactly as Joseph thought. But we see that. And then I think the response of both Mary is interesting for us to 
to look at in the sense that she was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Again, think from her perspective. You know, an angel spoke to her, said she's going to have, have this child um, by the Holy Spirit, and then, then she does. And then again, that reassurance that these shepherds come and they've told them how the angel spoke to them and came. And again, it's just like, okay, all these things, this is what is supposed to happen. God is at work here. This is good things. And the shepherd's response is that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. So again, their response to encountering the light of the world, encountering Jesus the Messiah, was to praise and glorify, tell everyone about what they had seen and heard. Like that was their response. And that should be the same response that we have when we are reminded of Christ's birth, of Christ's life, of his death, is that we should give glory. We should give praise. We should be excited being like, wow, we read the word and it's true. This is incredible. This changes everything. That should be our response when we see, when we read the the Christmas story, when we read scripture, when we're encouraged, we should give glory and praise that what we've seen, it's true. We have confidence and we see that play out. Continuing on in verse 21, When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So again, we see a few things. We see one, that Mary and Joseph were obedient to the Old Testament law, to the scriptures of what they were supposed to do. Luke is making that very clear by again, being very detailed that it wasn't just going to the temple, it was going to the temple because that was the law of the Lord. It was offering the sacrifice because that was the law of the Lord. Luke wants to make sure that we see that, that that is very important. And then when we see, we hear about this guy named Simeon, and that starts in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon has been promised by God that he will not die until he sees the Messiah in the flesh. And so guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex that day, and when the parents brought in their child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel." So here we see, again, this idea of the light of the world, you know, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles would be everyone else who is not of Israel, the world. Um, and it causes Simeon to just give great praise that God was faithful to what he told him. He's seen it. He can now die in peace because that has been fulfilled. And so we see Mary and Joseph's kind of response in verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. So again, this is kind of another reassurance, whether you're on Joseph's side, they're like, okay, another thing like this has happened. This, at this point, I'd probably am convinced this is the son of God. Um, and so they were amazed at what was being said about them. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So again, Simeon here, 
is prophesying about Jesus' life. And as we're familiar with Jesus' life, we see that this is very accurate. It's going to cause the rise and fall of many Israel. Many Israelites will struggle with who Jesus is. Some will come to terms. Some will reject him. Um, and so there's, there's struggle in that. A sword will pierce your own soul. You know, Mary probably had to endure a lot of ridicule. You know, people being like, they say that Mary did not cheat on Joseph and she just had this baby by the Holy Spirit. She was probably looked down upon in many ways. You know, she at the same time had to watch her son be beaten, be killed, be hung on a cross and experience all that pain, but for a purpose that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed so that we can see those that know Christ and those that don't. And then we have that opportunity for us. So we see kind of another experience here as well in verse 36. There was also a prophetess named Anna, a daughter of Phanuel the, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. So quick math here. Uh, assuming she got married at at least age nine, which I think is being very generous, she is well over 100 years. Um, so this is a very, very old woman here. And she lives in the temple. She did not leave the temple complex serving God night and day and fasting and praying. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And so again, we see another response to seeing the light of the world, to experiencing that, is to to speak about the truth that is going on, to give praise, to give thanks um, to God for what he's done. And again, this should be our response, that of the shepherds, that of Simeon, that of Anna, is that when we experience the light of the world, when we experience Jesus as the Messiah, when we see that the word of God is true, it should cause us to respond and to give praise and glory um, and and give thanks to God for, for all that he's done because it is true. And then finishing out in in where we're going to end in Luke 2, verse 39. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. This verse feels very similar to Luke 2.52, which if you've been here for a while, you were very familiar with. Um, But, you know, this is kind of, again, Jesus continued to grow. He continued to to be filled with wisdom, and and God's grace was on him. Um, And then it kind of goes into the rest of his life. And so, again, why we remember Christmas. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we're supposed to remember Christ's birth, but we are supposed to remember Christ's death because that is what has saved us. That is what changed everything. Is When he died and rose again, it made a way for us to get to the Father, to be reconciled, to have eternal life. So when we think about, we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is great. It's not wrong to remember Christ's birth and celebrate that, but we have to remember all that he did for us. And again, this idea that he is the light of the world, fulfilling that, the light to the nations, not just the Israelites, but also the Gentiles, which are the majority of us, unless you have um, you know, Jewish heritage. So there's some different version, verses within scripture I want to look at where we talk about the light of the world and kind of, again, it being prophesied in the Old Testament and then Jesus confirming that he is that light. And so in Isaiah 42, verse 6, again, the same kind of thing. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah when he comes. And so he's speaking. He says, I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. So here... 
we're not necessarily talking about those that are in jail. We're talking about, you know, in a spiritual sense, um, those that are spiritually blind, that have not had their eyes open. Jesus came for them so that they can have their eyes open to understanding who Jesus is as the light of the world. Same thing we see in verse 40, in chapter 49, verse 6 of Isaiah. It says, he says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So again, this is great news for us. This should cause us to praise that even in the Old Testament, God's plan was not just for his chosen people. It was for salvation to come to the entire world. So again, for those of us that are not of Jewish heritage, this is huge news. That again, it's not just when Jesus came that everything changed. This was the plan all along that it was for all to come to be redeemed um, and for that salvation to be available to all. Brian shared last week, looking at John 1, um, in John's Gospel, we get from the beginning very clear that Jesus is the light of the world. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. So again, we see this picture of the light of the world. Jesus coming changes everything and that it's God incarnate in human form. So this is a huge change for us. Go on in John 8, we see Jesus talking. He says, then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, when you think about Christmas, you think about all the gifts you're going to get, this is the greatest gift that we can ever receive, is the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus promises that once we are in the light, we will never be, be in darkness again. We will have known him. And so this, when we think about the presence, it's not the PlayStation, it's not whatever you've gotten as a kid. It's this gift should cause us to praise, to give thanks, and to share with others what we did. You know, if we all get a good gift tomorrow for Christmas, I guarantee all of us are going to tell our friends, hey, I got this for Christmas. Look at this new shirt I got. Look at this whatever um, you want, XYZ thing. Um, we're going to be excited to share about those things, but rarely are we excited to share about the greatest gift of all, which is the gospel. Um, and so... Maybe you are here today. Maybe you are familiar with the, the Christmas story, with the life of Jesus, with you're familiar with what he did for us. But I don't want to assume that everyone here knows that as well. And so why is it so important that Jesus came? Why did Jesus need to come? Why are we talking about this? Why do we celebrate this today? Um, and so I kind of just want to walk through why it's so important. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, many of us are familiar with that idea. Um, in Colossians, you know, it says that for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Then again, we see in Genesis 1 that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So in the beginning, God created the earth. Everything was good. There was no sin in the world. There was no death. And then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and thus sin was born, and the curse of sin infected all of us, even to this day. And so they were separated from God. There was a separation that God was no longer walking with them. And we see this again in Isaiah 53, 6, um, the heart of all men. We went, all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every man that was ever born, every person, we have all sinned. Um, those that are parents, you know, you didn't have to teach your kid to say no to you. They just picked it up. They had that bad attitude already in their DNA. Um, they didn't have to be taught that. We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. But the best gift, again, that ever happened is Jesus coming to earth as a human to live a life for us. So we see this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So this was Christ's purpose. This is why God sent his son to earth was to, to die for us that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life, that we will never perish, um, that we can spend eternity with God. And Jesus has all the authority. He assures us this in the Gospels we see in Matthew 9, 6, and 7, um, that he has the authority to forgive sins, that he is um, with God in the Trinity. So he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And he got up and went home. And so this is one of the miracles Jesus performed, is that he's showing people that he has the authority to forgive sins. Um, and in John 10, 30, he says, the Father and I are one. They are together. Um, they are one. So he is not just a human. He is the son of God. He is fully man, fully human. And we see the nature which he came, that he was humbled and that he came to earth. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So Jesus came humbly, humbly for us to die. This is why he came. He's God. He's the Son of God. He did not need to die for us. He could have done anything, but he lowered himself to the, his creation to be like us, to live amongst us, and then to die out of a love for us. But he didn't just die. He resurrected three days later. First Corinthians, we see this, First Corinthians 15. For I passed on to you as the most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So again, we can know with authority we have that he appeared to people. He appeared to the disciples. We see this in scripture, but then we also have historical account. They were all martyred for their faith. They all died. And if they hadn't seen Jesus raised from the dead, they would not have died. You would not have died if this was some weird, elaborate plot that you were planning with your friends to overthrow the government. Uh, you would not die for that if you knew it was fake. And so when they met Jesus, these are all the same disciples that when he was crucified went and hid and would not stand with him, would not claim to know him. And then something changes. Something between then and there changes to the point where they are willing to stake their entire life to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel to the point of death. The only thing that makes sense logically is that they saw Jesus and that he rose from the dead. Otherwise, why on earth would they die? I would not die for something I didn't believe was true. Um, so we have faith that he resurrected, he overcame death. And we have this promise in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. And so we are sinners, we know that. But Christ has said that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. 
Um, if we believe that he is the Messiah, we see going on in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And so we can have confidence that we know that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Messiah, the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament, God incarnate, born, lived amongst men, a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and we surrender our lives to him, we can know that we are saved. Um, and that's believing that in our heart. And as a result of believing in our heart, that causes us to speak it, to share with others, to say that, yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But this, again, it's not of works. It's not something that we do. It's a gift. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You know, again, Christmas, we think about gifts all the time. You don't earn your gifts. When I give a gift, it's out of the, the goodness of my heart. Um, the Snyders so, so generously gave all the staff members gifts at staff meeting. We were joking that, oh, now we feel guilty because now we have to give you a gift back. And now it's just constant exchange. And that's not how gifts work. Gifts are out of the goodness of your heart. I didn't do anything to earn that gift. And so it's the same with salvation. We cannot earn it. There's no way where we can live up to earning our salvation it is only through Christ's death and resurrection that that comes. And that's good, because then none of us can boast. We all can humbly say we are all sinners. None of us are deserving of this salvation. And yet here we have it, because Christ is so great and so loving that he came, humbled himself, died for us. And that can cause us to praise, to give glory. Again, this should be our excitement. We, we can grow scale to the gospel, but we have to preach it to ourselves every day. that This is incredible. This is the greatest gift. And it's through... Through, um, through God's grace that we are allowed to have it. So again, kind of wrapping back up just with the idea of the light of the world, um, we have a part to play in that as well. In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking to, to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So it's not our own light. We're reflecting the light of God when we are obedient to living to his word and we're doing all of these things um, so that we can give glory to God in heaven, not for ourselves, not for our pride, but give glory to God in that sense. And so in order for us to do that, we have to be willing to share our faith, to share the good news that we have heard, and we must tell all the world, tell everyone. And so this is something that I think many of us struggle with, and especially just the greater church struggles with, especially in North America. There was a LifeWay study in 2014 um, that said that 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month, so a pretty low committal, believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. So I think everyone here in this room, the majority probably feels, I know I'm supposed to share my faith. But most of us, many of us, may struggle to share that faith. According to the statistics, that is true. It says that 61% of those say that they have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the past six months from when this survey was taken. So six months, and they never said anything about Christ or how to, to have salvation, but they know that they're supposed to. And that can be something that we struggle with. And our response needs to be that, again, when we see the shepherds rejoice, when we see 
um, Simeon's rejoicing, Anna's rejoicing, that should cause us to go and share all those things. And again, Jesus commanded it for us. This is the reason we do it, because Jesus told us we have to. And so in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, um, before Jesus descends to heaven, um, he said, Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, for all of us here today, if you are a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, it is our job to go, to play a part in that Great Commission. It is not just for the missionaries going to the ends of the earth. It is for all of us to play a part in it. There's many different ways we play a part, but at the very least, we have to make it known, the gospel. The gospel must be heard to be received. We can't, there's an old saying that's like, at all times, share the gospel. When necessary, use words. It sounds really great, but it's a load of baloney, and it just is an easy way for me to say, I don't have to share the gospel. I'm a good person, and by being a good person, they will see that Jesus is Lord. And it's like, no. If I don't tell them that Jesus is Lord and this is the reason why I live the life that I live, they have no idea. They're just like, Luke's kind of a weirdo. He lives a weird life. He gives money to his church. I don't know why he does that. No, I do that because Jesus tells us to. Um, So again, we have to go and share. And so the Christmas season is the perfect time to share because we're going to share about all the gifts that we got. We're going to share about the nice things going on. But we should share about the greatest gift of all, and that is that Christ came and died for us. He lived amongst men, made a way for us to, to have salvation. And so that could ca- should cause us to, to do the same. So I'm going to close in prayer. If you have never made that decision, if you are here and you, this is the first time you're hearing of Jesus, or the first time it's really clicking, and you're seeing that, whoa, this Jesus, if he's who he says he was, I need to have some sort of response to this. Um, you can write in this seat in prayer, and I'll, I'll lead you in that, that you can accept Christ in your heart and know that if you confess him as Lord and believe that in your heart, you will never perish. You will be saved and have eternal life. Um, and it just takes belief and faith. And then we want to walk with you, teaching you to observe all the things that we've been commanded. There's more that comes. It's not out of works, but as a response to that faith that that should cause us to live the rest of our lives in a certain way. So I'm going to close in prayer. And if that's you, um, you can repeat after me in the, the, uh, the quietness of your heart as well. So dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that we can celebrate and remember your birth Um, that you, Jesus, came down humbly um, to that of a a baby and and lived a a simple life, a sinless life, um, one that took on pain and death for our sake, Lord, that you died on a cross um, so that we could have life um, and have an opportunity to be saved. Um, Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given us of the gospel, um, that it's not something we could earn because we know we could never earn it but it is only out of your grace and it's through faith that we can accept it. So Lord, if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't know you and feels called and feels led to to, um, accept you in their life now, Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, I pray that they would just say to you in the quietness of their heart that they would say, God, I believe that you are the one true God, the one who created the universe and everything in it. And I believe that, that I'm a sinner, that I have fallen short of your glory and that I recognize that there is nothing I can do to earn your favor and to earn um, salvation. And I I believe that you sent your son, just as was prophesied in the Old Testament, um, that you sent your son Jesus that we read about today, that he came in, in bodily form, lived a sinless life, 
died on a cross and rose again for me in my place, that I am the one that is supposed to have died um, for my sins, but he made a way for me. I believe that he is the son of God. And I, I recognize that this causes me to surrender my entire life, that it causes me to, to live differently and to, to be committed to his word and to his people. And Lord, I want that. Lord, I choose that. I lay my life down before you and I pray that you would come into my heart, that you would fill me with your spirit and allow me to live for you. And Lord, if anyone prayed that, Lord, I pray that they would share that with someone, that they would rejoice in the good news, that they have accepted the greatest gift of all and that we can celebrate with them in knowing that they are saved and they will never perish now and get to spend eternity with you and that we'll rejoice for literally eternity, singing your praises together and we can remember this moment and celebrate. Lord, if anyone's here that is a Christian that is struggling with sharing their faith with, with um, just the conviction of not knowing how to do it or not being brave enough or being scared for whatever reason, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that your spirit dwells within them. The same spirit that moves mountains, that created the universe, that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is within them. And they are more than capable to share what you have done in their life. I pray that they would be praying about what people you have for them to share. I pray they would have boldness to do so. And if they need help, they would ask another believer in this church that we can help them um, to equip them, to teach them how to do it and to walk with them through it. Um, Lord, I pray that they would just see the joy and experience um, the joy of knowing you. Lord, I pray all of, for all of us here that we would experience that joy and it would cause us to respond, to give thanks to you for, for your goodness, for your truth, for fulfilling your promises. That would cause us to give you praise and worship and to share about this great gift. Lord, I thank you for, for all that you've done and I pray this all in your name. Amen.